1: Welcome to Silmarillion Stories, where the Lorehound's your guides to Tolkien's world of Middle-earth. I'm David.
2: I'm John, and this is our podcast for two chapters of the Silmarillion, of the Silmarils and the Unrest of the Noldor, and of the Darkening of Valinor, the ninth set of stories in the Silmarillion.
1: For this episode, we've got a special guest with us today, Marilyn R. Pukila. Marilyn has been a regular contributor to many of our shows, including this one and our coverage of the Earth Sea Cycle by Ursula K. Le Guin. You can find a link to Marilyn's website in the show notes.
2: In this episode, we're going to be discussing the creation of the Silmarils, the conflicts arising amongst the Noldor, and the end of the two trees before answering some listener feedback.
1: Definitely send us feedback. We save it all up between episodes. Send an email to lotr at the lorehounds.com or visit our website where we've got a contact form and we've got a nifty voicemail feature. You just click a button, you can record a message, it gets sent to us, we can drop it right into the podcast. We also have a Discord server link in the show notes. We've got a fun and active community with a dedicated Tolkien channel and uh, channels for all the other shows and projects that we've got going.
2: And make sure you stick around to the end of the podcast for programming notes about the rest of July, including the episode of Earthsea we just recorded with Marilyn.
1: That's right. Along with updates for our affiliates, uh, Properly Howard Film Reviews and Wool Shift Dust, which is uh, Alicia's podcast. And she's covering a bunch of different um, sci-fi stories and books and all kinds of stuff. So stick around to the end of that. That said... We've got our Patreon. If you are interested in maybe getting ad-free episodes or early access, for as little as $3 a month, you can support us in producing all of this great content that we're working on. We just had, well, this month, in fact, is our one-year podcasting anniversary. It's hard to believe that 111 years ago, we started uh, our first Second Age podcast in prep for the Rings of Power television show. And here we are. As a way to say thank you to everyone who's been such great supporters, we're going to be sending out a special thank you gift at the end of the month. We've created a uh, a once-in-a-lifetime sticker it has an Elven inscription that says one year of good history. Thanks to Marilyn and all the great folks who uh, do uh, Elvish translations. Um, anyone who's subscribed at the end of July is going to get one of these. We'll have some more information at the end of the podcast, but check us out at patreon.com slash the lorehounds.
2: Well, David, let's bring in Marilyn and let's start talking about these chapters.
1: This is where... Things really start to. I really feel like the Silmarillion... It's heating you know, up. We're cooking now, right? We're, we're cooking with gas. Well, we don't we, want to cook with are. gas anymore, right? We want to cook with electric induction. <laughs> anyway, we're cooking.
2: Somebody's cooking something. It uh, smells absolutely. good. And Angolians hungry, so Ooh. it's good to <laughs> good to keep it good to keep the kitchen rolling.
1: Hi, Marilyn. It seems like we've hardly just see, we haven't seen you in so
3: long. I know. Oh, I know. We just it's spent been several been hours a with massive you yesterday. Amount of time. <laughs>
1: Let's
2: get some general impressions here. Marilyn, I think you've read this a few times.
3: Oh, yes. <laughs> what what's twice.
2: your what's your take on this chapter, the set of chapters and and this story? Where does this rank in your Silmarillion enjoyment and its impact on the world of Middle-earth?
3: Well, this is the heart of the Silmarillion and the Silmarils are the heart of the story basically. Right. So a lot is established here that eventually rolls into the rest of the legendarium concerning Lord of the Rings. And it was the massive mythology that was growing in the back of Tolkien's mind while he was writing The Hobbit, while he was writing Lord of the Rings. And little by little, he just kept drawing in pieces or dropping names. Um, We learned, for example, in Lord of the Rings, that Shelob is uh, the last child of Ungoliant to trouble the unhappy world. And the first time you read that, you think, Ungoliant? Okay, so who's that, right? What, <laughs> right? what is this? What are we talking about? Well, in Silmarillion, we get to find out. And we right. find out about uh, the one of the really important mythic bases of Elven and Elvish culture of the two trees. And we see trees. I mean, it's your favorite line, right? Follow the trees. Follow the trees. Well, here we see why the Silmarillion's are, the Silmarils are tied in with the trees.
2: Right. And the right.
3: consequences of that.
2: And Tolkien's not hiding the ball either, right? He says at one point, and this is going to have consequences later. Basically, he says that all the time in these early chapters, like, "Oh, yep." And nobody knew that this was actually going to be a huge problem later. Uh-huh. Uh, he, he, it's, it's almost, you know, I think that if we read that today, that would be critiqued as, as a technique because people would yeah. say, you know, hide the ball a little more. You know,
3: he's spoiling himself.
2: He you know, is spoiling We already himself, know, he's just very too excited. early on. <laughs> he's just too excited. David, this is your first time with the Silmarillion. What did you think of these two chapters?
1: Well, like I, I said, I feel like we're finally getting into the stuff. We've all we've gotten past all of the begats and the begats, <laughs> and we get Ungoliant, which is such a, a vivid—you know, the passages are, are relatively short. But there's such vivid imagery in there uh, uh, about it, her, whatever it is, mm-hmm. uh, how it works and and what it did to the trees. And so that was just uh, juicy reading, if I could, you know, <laughs> be a little <laughs> yeah. weird about it. Uh, great to see Melkor skulking about, Tolkis getting all riled up and wanting to go thrash and, and chase. But, you know, all these things about magical darkness, a lot of fun. The Noldor, you know, yeah. There's just some people with some some heads up their butts here. Uh, <laughs> really, really great too. And getting, you know, uh, who is it? Remind me. I'm sorry. It's uh, one of the F's. Uh, I have trouble. We'll, uh,
2: describe them. them a little more because there's a lot of F's.
1: <laughs> he pointed a uh, pointed a sword at his half brother. That's Feanor. So Feanor. Feanor. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. yeah Feanor is gonna be haunting your dreams for the what rest a jerk. of your and yeah. he gets
1: called out, right? And they're like, yeah. "Yo, dude, that's not cool. You gotta make up." we'll have this cooling off period. And then if you're good and then they're good, we'll it'll all be just fine. And no, he's a complete jerk about the whole thing and, and takes his toys and stomps off the playground. Yeah. Um, literally. Yeah. Yeah. Literally. Mm-hmm. And, and in all of that stuff with the Noldor, I felt this whole thing with the Valar as these, as the parents and they're kind of gen X parents, right? They're just watching <laughs> the kids beat up on each other <laughs> And then they're calling them both to account. Hey, knock it off. Everybody be who cool. Who hit who. Yeah, I don't care who hit who. Just knock it off, <laughs> you know. And, uh, and then, you know, one of them is going to be a jerk about it. And they're like, well, okay, can't, can't do much about it. Right. You know. So. Well, they
3: weren't set there to be the parents of the children of Iluvatar because they are not Iluvatar. They were set there to prepare the world for the children.
2: They were set right. there to be the landlord of right. the children of the
3: Right, landlord. and all of a sudden they're left <laughs> that's, with that's the a baby, as it were. Right, and so they didn't get a parenting manual, and they didn't get the notion that they were supposed to do. All they were that supposed stuff.
1: to do anything, which is what Gen X parents were like. So, <laughs>
3: okay, uh, <laughs> I'll take your word for it. <laughs> yes, we were feral. Um,
1: so yeah, it was just it was really great to see the um, the gears getting in motion here, the the stakes being set. The, the drama getting turned on, the bad guys twirling mustaches and skulking around <laughs> in the shadows. And I, yeah, I feel like, all right, let's go. Let's do this. You know, let's, yeah. let's start to see what what happens. Let's um, do it
2: indeed. I yeah. think uh, that's time to go into the plot. So I've broken this up by plot point because it's a, a very plot driven set of chapters. Mm. This is, we're no longer in the ethereal realm of, like you said, David, who begot who. Mm hmm. So, Feanor, the greatest smith among the Noldor, creates the Silmarils, three jewels which contain the blended light of the two trees of Valinor. I don't know who added this quote in the outline, but it's a good quote, so whoever did, please come forth.
1: Uh, Not me,
3: it must have been Marilyn. (laughs) Then he began a long and secret labor. He summoned all his lore and his power and his subtle skill And at the end of all, he made the Silmarils as three great jewels. They were in form, but not until the end when Feanor shall return, who perished ere the sun was made and sits now in the halls of awaiting and comes no more among his kin, not until the sun passes and the moon fails, shall it be known of what substance they were made.
2: So that's a super interesting thing. And it also is part of my rage at rings of power, making Mithril liquefied Silmaril. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. I'm still, I'm still mad about that, but, uh, and it's because this is something that's so mysterious in the Lord of the Rings and a really beautiful description. There's a ton of poetic language in this chapter, in these Mm -hmm. two chapters. And it starts here just with this description of the Silmarils and, it's kind of fascinating that Tolkien makes the most beautiful and most pure objects in Middle Earth in this whole, in Arda, be made from this very flawed man, uh, elf, whoever mm. it is Very flawed yeah. person.
1: Interesting.
3: Well, he exhibits what I consider to be the most familiar flaws of the creator. And this is a theme that runs throughout Tolkien. And I think it's partly because he himself saw himself as a sub-creator but throughout his life also almost felt he had to justify that it was okay to do this because he truly believed he was adding to the creation of divine and was a little concerned that this might be sort of a hubristic thing to do.
2: So is Feanor a self-insert?
3: That's a really interesting question.
2: Or rather I, than a self-insert, be. because I think that Tolkien had a kinder view of himself than that, at least. I think Tolkien is at least examining his fears.
3: Absolutely.
2: Here's the worst case scenario. Absolutely. Here's what I don't want to be. Mm-hmm. And this is what it leads
3: to. But you see, he, Feanor is already following a pattern that was previously established.
2: The okay, greatest go on tem- with that. The
3: greatest temptation for all creators is to be possessive of their work.
1: Mm -hmm. Right, he is real possessive later.
3: Exactly, exactly. So
1: much so that he doesn't recognize that the light came from the trees, but the light is inherent into the Silmarils themselves.
3: And it is a living thing, that Mm. light. Right. right. That he has imprisoned, and that word gets used at some point, into the substance that nobody knows what it is. I I just...
1: This, this thing, this yet the crystal was the Simirils, as is the body to the children of Iluvatar,
3: exactly. the house
1: of its inner fire, that within, and yet all the parts. Uh, it was such an interesting construction that he was saying, this, th- as this is to that, that is to this. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I was like, wait, how is the crystal of the Simirils the body of the children of Iluvatar?
3: We are the children of Iluvatar, and so it is our physical bodies that are the analogy to- uh, the crystal, whatever it is. And the fire within is analogy to our souls.
1: If you okay. Will. Well, and so, and the light within the Silmarils is the, is as of the trees of creation.
3: Right. Right. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which Yavanna called forth. Right. And that was, you know, that was part of her function. But if you think back to Aule and in, when he's first introduced as the maker, it, it, Specifically says he freely gave away all that he made. You know, he taught everybody happily. He didn't keep any secrets and so on. But then he made the dwarves. And he did it in secret. He did it by himself. And as we know from having heard that story already, um, it almost didn't turn out very well. And in fact, there were repercussions down the line because he made them by himself. Right. Without any contributions from his fellow Valar. And so here's Feanor doing the same sort of thing. And of course, Ally would understand that Feanor had this, this need to create, but he, Feanor has forgotten that he is also a created being made in the image of Lúthar and subject to limitations. And that the light in the Silmarils is not his and nor did he make the light himself. And the fact that he went off by himself to make it, just as Aole did, both of them are mirroring Melkor. Because it was Melkor's going off alone into the void, trying to find new things that eventually led him to shift away from the music. Right. And create the discord. So, so they s-
2: both have mirroring exiles.
3: Right. Right, exactly. And. The consequences are not dissimilar.
2: Yeah, which is fascinating because while they have plenty of similarities, Feanor and Melkor are not friends. You know, Feanor, what's I think most interesting to me about Feanor, and I always bring up Feanor when people say Tolkien doesn't have great characters, (laughs) is that Tolkien, uh, sorry, Feanor explicitly rejects the evil beings, right? He does not want anything to do with them. Mm-hmm. He's firmly on the side of the light. He just does it in a way that makes him an asshole.
3: Well, and makes him vulnerable to the temptation of right. the evil and does yeah. not see how very similar he is to it. Right. And I think that's a fairly human
2: right. flaw as well. Right. Letting, and, letting sort of obsession and devotion lead you to the same things that you are against.
3: Mm-hmm. And the things that you dislike most in yourself are the things that you immediately see in others and dislike heartily as well.
2: Right. I want to bring in the next section just because I want to combine this with our discussion. Mm -hmm. Melkor, jealous of the jewels and the Noldor, begins to spread lies to feed hatred among the Noldor. Once the Noldor are angry, Melkor teaches them about weapons, which the Noldor begin to make alongside shields with house emblems. This culminates in Feanor openly calling for rebellion against the Valar. Lot here, a lot here, and I think that this kind of dovetails with our discussion of Feanor and his distrust of Melkor. Feanor rejects Melkor, but is just as vulnerable to the echoes of his lies. Once the lies bounce off other elves, he is completely receptive to them.
3: Yeah, yeah.
1: I was struck by the fact that it's not like they've been fighting a lot of wars already. Right. If, if Correct me if I'm wrong on that. And, you know, they might have been doing some some hunting and some basic stuff, but to suddenly have helmets and weapons and shields and this right. sort of the machinery of war, the technology of war, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm guessing, you know, Melkor must have been putting that into his whispers to them and and seeding that
2: and- yeah 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 well Melkor he basically he does something very smart which he he acts like he's only warning each elf f- family individually right right yeah. so each family goes we gotta we gotta prepare because the other elves are gonna rise up against us or the Valar are gonna rise up against us and and because no one will talk because people distrust each other, much like Saruman and Sauron. And, you know, the, the way that Theoden was very, you know, secluded while he was under the influence of Saruman. This causes them to react in a fearful way and to arm themselves to the
3: teeth. And who among all the created beings of the world at this point has enacted violence up to this point? of course it's melkor right 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 and so only his mind could conceive of weapons right not the same thing as you know arrows for hunting whatever we know that the elves do hunt i don't know if they're hunting in Valinor at this point i tend to think they're not but yeah um the notion of killing another sentient being just hasn't showed up yet and later on when he starts talking about um the Valar making thralls of the Noldor. What is this thrall? Where does this concept come from? Right. And so, suddenly, Feanor is telling all of his fellows, oh, we're thralls to the Valar. Well, <laughs> who, who, who's, who's the only person we know of at this point in the history of Arda who has enslaved people?
2: Right. And I, I like later when Manway basically says, I don't remember if he says it or another Vala says it, but you know, if you want to call a thrall, I'm sure, but you can't escape it. You know, Manway is king of Arda, and you're not <laughs> going to escape that.
1: Mm. No, you're a thrall. No, you're the king of thralls. <laughs> right. so it was He's like really... fine,
2: call yourself a thrall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's
1: very childish. Uh, the Noldor are, are acting very, very childlike. In, in they, all are. Of this. Very
3: they are, they're very young. That's true, yeah, They I mean, are it's, very it's young. As
2: did, only a few thousand years, you
1: know? Did <laughs> Tolkien have, was he, were, where along, well, okay, so this is a reconstructed book by Christopher, right? Right. It is. But do we know when certain parts of the Silmarillion were written relative I, I to his the, life? I think the,
2: I think, I, the idea of the Silmarils was early, correct me if I'm wrong, Marilyn. Yes. The idea of the Silmarils was early, and, it was evolving over time. I think A.R. and was the birth of the idea of the Silmarils. Uh, but I don't know when Feanor came along. And I don't know when this idea of the Noldor politics came along.
1: I'm just thinking of this, this, Tolkien this. as a parent. And, he, and mm-hmm. some of that is is coming through his writing here. Because he is writing in a very parently sort of way. And watching the uh, observing the behavior of children. And, right. and using that understanding to to illuminate the characters in the story as the characters are developing. Mm-hmm. Right.
3: The Silmarils pre-existed, Erendil. the story, the poem was the absolute first flick of inspiration. Okay. Okay. But he had no idea what it was or what it meant for a very long time. And for a while there, Erendil was pretty purposeless. He arrived at Valinor after they'd all gone off to fight the war mm-hmm. um, in the earlier, earlier editions. But the the whole course of the story of the Silmarillion was pretty well formed um, in the 1930s. It needed a lot of refining and so forth. And that's why it was so much in his mind when he started writing first The Hobbit and then Lord of the Rings.
2: Right. So that would have been around the time he had young children.
3: Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. 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 His, his yeah. first son was born in uh, 1918, if memory yeah. serves. Which so is-
2: he's, got a, he's got a 12-year-old and younger. So, yeah, good call, David.
1: What do we know? I'm curious too, was he an uncle
3: at this stage? That is a good question. Hillary definitely got married and definitely had children, but I know nothing about their dates.
1: Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just, I remember when we were in the, the, when we did our second age podcast, oh, so long a year ago, (laughs) (laughs) We, we talked a lot about how Tolkien brought his whole self into his writings. And even though, Mm-hmm. We can talk about the inspiration for the creation and how the creations sort of took on a life of their own in many ways. He still, as the conduit, your your points of views and thoughts and stuff are going to be naturally embedded in the words that are are mm-hmm. being written by your hand. So,
3: along with right. your world experience and your exactly. life experience,
1: and we yeah, we talk about the wartime experience. We talk about the religious experience and all of these things. So,
2: right. There's a quote here. Long was he at work, referring to Milkor. And slow at first, and barren was his labor. But he that sows lies <laughs> <How mean? laughs> in the, the end will not, shall not lack of a harvest. And soon he may rest from toil indeed, while others reap and sow in his stead. Ever Melkor found some ears that would heed him, and some tongues that would enlarge what they had heard. And his lies passed from friend to friend, as secrets of which the knowledge proves the teller wise." That last part, especially, really hit me. You know this Mm. this idea of uh, you know the the secret is just so good that it proves the teller wise that you want to believe it, right? And and these juicy lies, these juicy lies that he uses whispers to make people believe. This telephone game that he's playing really was effective with the Noldor.
3: It's one of my favorite descriptions of fake news and conspiracy theories.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: Yeah. (laughs) It's not a recent development, folks. (laughs) No. (laughs) No. no. It's been around for a long, long time.
2: Yeah.
1: The funny thing that you were – when you started that quote, though, the idea that, you know, long at toil with this, you know, this fruitless labor. And I was just thinking about the life of a writer, how oftentimes that (laughs) is the case. Yeah. Where you're just – yeah, uh, You know, and, and nothing's coming to fruition um, or, or creators in general, you know, be it actors yeah. or musicians or, you know, photographers or wh- whatever. If you're in an act of creation um, mm-hmm. for it's a long grind. Yeah. That sometimes it can be. And then then there's those few people who just seem to create yeah. <laughs> without, you know, just they blink their eyes and they create. Something.
2: Yeah. If I could plug Alicia's interview with Hugh Howey, he she she asked him, what what advice would you give? To a new writer, mm-hmm. and he said, Don't obsess over the first thing you write. Yeah. You need to keep getting things out because hmm. probably it's gonna be the fifth thing you write that catches fire, not the right. first. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that is something that made me go, Wow, that's a lot of words to throw throw around, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. To mm. to not expect anyone to read.
3: Yeah, well, I've got 12 volumes of the histories of Middle Earth on my bookshelf. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Right, right.
3: kind of proves the point. And some of the early stuff, you know, some people find rather painful. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of it I just find fascinating and enchanting just to watch the unfolding of the story, but also the craft of the writer. It's
1: well, to, to shamelessly plug our Earthsea uh, conversations, mm. uh, the, you know, we just finished up the furthest shore. And one of the things that we talked about was the deafness of. Uh, that ursula Kayla Gwynn was showing at those in these in that in that at that time a final book and just yeah. how confident she had grown and how well her story construction was and so mm-hmm. yeah you you know you want to be good at something you've got to do it over and over and over again and and keep working it so yeah hugh howey's i think comments as you say in elisa's um uh, conversation with him are are i think spot on mm-hmm.
2: yeah there's another detail here that Melkor knew of the coming of men and so used mm-hmm. that to put fear into the elves. Because the third he
1: was, theme of Iluvatar.
2: Right. And so yes. he's, he's saying, well, they're just trying to keep you guys busy while they let these <laughs> other guys take over Middle-earth. You should see how they're partying over there.
3: <laughs> and the whole business of, you know, why is that a thing to arouse fear and suspicion? You know, you're in the presence of Manway, who is the closest to the heart of Ivatar, presumably you trust him. That's right. interesting. and And so, if the fact that Manway hasn't chosen to tell you this could have been an oversight, Could have been he figured you wouldn't be interested? Um, you know, it doesn't have to have a sinister connotation.
2: My pet Unless theory, Melkor
3: is the one who's telling it right, to
2: you. Right, right. Yeah. And and my pet theory is the same way that Iluvatar did not want the Valar to be big brother to the mm. elves and do exactly what they did and take them away from Middle-earth. And um, the, the Valar said, let's let the men do their own thing and not let the elves basically adopt them into their culture and be be the parents.
3: Yeah, there is a little bit of that, isn't there? That the perception of the elves being such a superior culture to humans, that they would interfere with the humans, natural development, whatever that means. I
2: I think that's fair, too, when you look at the Adain compared to the other humans, the other Mm -hmm. men, I think that that is a fair fair thing to say. Elves do heavily influence who men are.
3: Mm -hmm. It sort of runs contrary to Tolkien's whole intention As though of the elves ennobling humans, yeah. So there had to be some connection, some overlap, you know, some intimacy, um, in order to have the elvish strain become part of humans as well. But I think, I think, in their initial impulse when they decided to to "quote unquote" invite the elves to come to Valinor, they weren't thinking past that at that point. They're mm. kind of reacting to the situation as it was in yeah. the moment. Yeah. Which is again, if you're an immortal, that's kind of an,
2: you know, right. Right. A sensible
3: thing to do. And unfortunately, the only one who had any sense of future, Mandos, said nothing until after the decision was already made. At which point he very helpfully chimed in and said, Oh, so it's doomed. <laughs> well, I thank told you very you so. much, <laughs> you <Yep, yep. laughs> yeah. Couldn't you have, you know, said that? 10 minutes earlier then maybe we might have rethought some of this.
2: Yeah. Well. And instead
3: of removing our kids from the danger, go out there and deal with the danger, which is completely beyond their capacity.
2: Right. Right. There's a quote here. I believe Marilyn added it. Would you like to read that here?
3: In those days, moreover, though the Valar knew indeed of the coming of men that were to be, the elves as yet knew not of it. For Manue had not revealed it to them. And this is where, again, I would say the Valar are not gods and they're not perfect beings. Right. Because they're created beings, they have limitations and imperfect knowledge. But, you know, I I struggle to come up with a reason why they wouldn't have told an Odor, other than what I was saying earlier. You know, they just didn't see it as being that much important. Yeah. And then this other little line here, which I just love. Little have the valor ever prevailed to sway the wills of men. <laughs> Ain't that the truth?
2: <laughs> it sure is. And it sure Tolkien is. had
3: a lifetime of experience uh, of the demonstration of that little statement. So in a sense, they should have been more worried about swaying the elves than they were about swaying humans.
2: Yeah. I mean, the actions of the Noldor really, and I think, David, you've alluded to this, this really is setting the stage for the whole book. Is is this group just not being able to handle their own politics, you know, clean up their own house. Something that we didn't really talk about was them making their own emblems and making their own arms and and this division further from already the division of the three. Yeah, the elves just love to divide themselves, right? We start off with the quendi, we end up with the caliquendi and the moraquendi, and then even the caliquendi are divided into several. Bits and the Teleri split up into a million different factions. You get the Noldor who stay united, but then they start to splinter off with the Fainors and the Galfrins and the Fenarfins, and then the uh, the Vanyar who are just chilling in Belenor. You know, they they're they're the poster child for the elves, I guess.
3: It's differentiation, you know. The cell keeps coming up with new bits and pieces. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think that that this and again the arms. They're built to go on shields, right? Like, they're built for battle, and I think that's part of this, too.
3: Right. I mean, they don't just stop at hanging banners right. on their walls. Yeah, it's not, a,
2: it's not a flag competition.
3: And it is kind of interesting to ponder. Well, we know why they felt it was necessary. But having that really sharp differentiation, and it's just in the Noldor, you know. The,
2: uh-huh. the
3: Vanyar are content to be those who sit at the feet of Anwë and— Arnold that worried about differentiation. Uh, the Teleri similarly, they're very content with ase, and right. I don't know if Ulmo ever comes with them. But right. they're more focused on the world around them and the beauty and wonder of things.
1: The Valar too start from a place of, you know, of being in relationship to a direct relationship to Iluvatar, being mm-hmm. the musicians, if you will, of the Ainulindale. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So and they have some free will, right? He said, you know, you got to yeah. be able to improvise and, and play your parts and do some stuff. But it strikes me that their 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 forever and always orientation is to Ilivutar,
4: mm-hmm.
1: where the Quendi are just like, hey, we're well, here, we are. And then of course, you know, people, come, you know, humans come along, and so they're not. Their orientation isn't to God in the same way.
3: Not in the same way, not in not as obviously.
1: Right, indirectly, and you know we are, you know, mm-hmm. we're here because the big guy set us in motion.
3: Mm-hmm. And they do know that deities exist, and they, quote unquote, deities, small deities, demiurges. You know, they have experiential knowledge that there are this group of beings that have remarkable powers that dwell, quote unquote in this other space mm-hmm. so they don't have to do the act they don't have to enact belief you don't have to believe in something if you know it if you've experienced it mm-hmm. right so it just isn't as big a deal in their lives in a sense um and you know you don't have to evoke Yavana, you can just sit in glory in a tree <laughs> as it were just Sit right. in a stupid tree <laughs> <laughs>
2: Marilyn, you added another quote here. I'll, I'll read it quickly. Uh, Feanor mm-hmm. began to love the Silmarils with a greedy love and grudged the sight of them to all save his father and his seven sons. He seldom remembered now that the light within them was not his own. And I think we basically hashed this out before, but yeah, yeah. this idea that Feanor really is having trouble with his ego, one might say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, one might. We, we, we used the word ego a lot last night when we recorded The Earth Sea podcast yep. but i think i think tolkien certainly has a, a different view of ego than ursula Le Guin.
3: i would agree with that absolutely i also this is what i called one of the nine themes of tolkien when i taught my course was the dangers of possessiveness and hmm. you know the legendarium is just riddled with examples of this but it seems to be one of the core concerns for him right and again tied in very tightly with those who are creators right and unlike the Teleri, who simply enjoy you know each wave as it comes along if you will
2: mm-hmm. although and the Teleri, they've got some fire in them too just more on the middle earth side i think the they falmari do. are fine and then the <laughs> the uh, uh, uh wait, what am i uh did i use the wrong term
3: no no you're fine okay okay you're, fine. you're, you're a little checking. further down the line but that's fine
2: the Felmari were the ones that uh, ended up staying in Valinor, right? The Teleri of the Teleri, who were who were the Teleri that stayed in Valinor, the Teleri. No, but the weren't they divided? The Teleri subdivided into the Felmari which stayed in Valinor, and then there were the you know the Sindar and and whatnot who stayed well,
3: in the Teleri who remained in Middle Earth became the Sindar, more or less. Okay. I think the Fellmari. I thought the Falari were the name for the Teleri that stayed in on uh, the shore of Middle-earth, you no know, Kelecon and up. his people.
2: Let's look it up. Um, the Teleri were the most numerous elven clan. Uh, let's see. The Falmari were the Teleri who journey who followed the great journey into Beleriand and reached Valinor. Okay. So, well done. Thank you. My brain worked tonight.
3: Yay! <laughs> No, after a while, you, you do just – your eyes start crossing with all those designations. I know. And to be perfectly honest, I don't think it was the elves who loved to do that sort of hierarchical thing. I think it was Tolkien.
2: Yeah. Okay. I think
3: he, he really – he believed in hierarchies. He was yeah. committed to hierarchies. <laughs> and, right. Uh, well, now that we've sorted out – now that we've
2: sorted out the factions of elves, um, yeah – yeah, I think that the the Falmari at least, that part of the Teleri that stayed in Valinor
3: mm-hmm.
2: were were pretty pretty chill. Pretty chill. Just chilling yes. out on Aqualante.
3: Well, you know, you live by the seaside. Yeah. How can you not be chill?
2: <laughs> well, Sweeney Todd also lived by the seaside and he didn't. Oh do really? So
3: well. well, I never encountered uh. <laughs> him on a beach, so
2: I just watched that movie. Sorry. It's it's fresh oh, on the mind. I can um, see. Finway summons his lords to council where Fingolfin pleads for Finway to restrain Feanor. As he does so, Feanor bursts in the doors and hears this, considering it a confirmation of the lies of Melkor that his brother seeks to supplant him. Feanor threatens Fingolfin at sword point and seeks Finarfin. So this is one of the most visceral scenes of this chapter to me. I I can almost see in my brain Feanor just pushing the doors open and his arms wide as he comes in. My brother, you know, just just (laughs) really hamming it up because Feanor, let's be honest, Feanor is a drama king. You know, he's just very ready for the drama at any point. And he's got his long flowing hair and he's just waving it in the wind, just throwing accusations at everybody. And. This it's really sad because honestly, Fingolfin was just asking for help. Yeah. And Feanor comes in, blows the whole thing up, and breaks the piece of Valinor, which has never been broken.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, you know, his name means spirit of fire. So yeah. call it Drama King, call it intensity, call it passion. Yeah. It's, call it violence. Call it oh that's absolutely violence. Right. Or threatening of violence.
2: David, this scene did it strike you the way it struck me? Since it's your first time,
1: yeah. As I, I said at the top of the episode, it was uh, very exciting to <laughs> have some drama happen, and you know to have swords drawn. And uh, I, it's not only just the initial conflict, but then doesn't he chase him to the door? And yeah. you know he gets he gets right. in his yeah. face even more, and that's when he really drops. Um, some, you know, uh, some hot words and, and everybody hears it, uh, Mm -hmm. because of, you know, where, where it is. And so it, uh, yeah, like I said, it, it really felt good to have some drama happen, even though if it's sort of the undoing of the Noldor, the beginning of the, of the end in a way, not, you know what I'm saying? It was just that the piece has been broken. It's the beginning of, of this piece being broken. Uh, right, You know, we want drama in our stories, and and finally um, I, I felt, oh, okay, good. Stuff's happening.
2: Right. <laughs> right. And there's this line right as Feanor comes in, so it is, even as I guessed. My half-brother. My yeah. half-brother, he <laughs> says right away. He did not yes. say my brother. Yes. My half-brother would be before me with my father in this as in all other matters. And I believe, I got to find the passage, but I believe that Fingolfin turns around and calls him brother later. He does not throw the half at him. He just pledges fealty to him and calls him brother because he, he's really trying to mend the bond here. Everyone gives Feanor a million chances to do the right thing, and at every step, Feanor says, "Nah, agent of chaos here."
3: Yeah, yeah.
1: I love this uh, this little bit of a line. This is sharper than thy tongue. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's just like. <laughs> Ooh, these are, this is some smoke, you know, he's, yeah. he's, yeah. uh, he's really, he's really winding him up. Yeah. You know, as you said, spirit of fire, right?
2: Yeah. Yes,
3: exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Master
2: it's a great scene. It's a really great scene. <laughs>
3: it'd
1: be, it'd be a fun, you remember when we back in the second age and one of the things that, uh, we did was we looked at a lot of the YouTube videos, yeah, the fan yeah. creation stuff, mm. and there's some really great stuff out there. This would be a fun scene for a fan Yeah. Fic Do it in me. like
2: House of the Dragon style. Oh, it would right? be
1: so <laughs> awesome. So awesome. Well, just, a, you- just have all the actors really eating the scenery and just, whoa, have it big and dramatic.
2: Yeah. Let's fancaster right now.
3: Right now, let's go. Lorehounds Productions. There we go. <laughs> Yanni Dolphin has done a really good a couple a series of, of really good illustrations of this scene. Oh really?
1: Yeah, oh she's great.
3: An excellent Tolkien artist. Nice. What's her name again? Yanni, which is spelled J-E-N-N-Y, G-N-N-N-Y. and the last name is D-O-L-F-E-N. She's done some amazing work, and she particularly enjoys uh, depicting elves and horses. Those, seem those to be are two, two good of her things for the topics.
2: Yeah. So no more elves and horses. We're back to the holy ones. The Valar cannot detect that Melkor is behind this, so they blame Feanor. At Feanor's hearing, the Valar realize the true cause and Tolkis leaves to exact justice. Feanor is exiled for 12 years for his breaking of the peace. Fingolfin offers immediate forgiveness, which is ignored by Feanor. Yeah, so there's a great description of of Tolkis leaving. That just, just, yeah. it just yeah. makes me think he's, he's like Melkor, Melkor. I can go after Melkor, and he just leaps up. Hops Finally. On his horse. It's, it's one of those, you know, if you're watching a, a movie or playing a video game and the horse is already running and you just leap on the horse. Right. And, uh, that's what I picture with Tolkis. He's like, let's go, let's go.
3: Except that Tolkis doesn't ride a horse. Well, he can I can gonna imagine him on a horse creature. anyway. All right. Because right it's ahead.
2: better for my brain. <laughs> So this scene, this is uh, mom and dad decided to talk to the kids. Finally, the Gen X parents decided to talk to the kids and figured out that Uncle Randy is actually the problem, putting poison in the kids (laughs) ears instead of instead of the kids themselves. (laughs) Right, right. And so Melkor is now in trouble, but he uh, he does not get caught. He's very elusive now,
1: John, uh, Just to keep out, I see the line. I will release my brother. Yeah, Fing- Fingolfin does say that. When, right, when right, right. Trying right. to broker the peace, like immediately, like, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, I'm like, cool. Yeah. Like, you know, we yeah. get the punishment. It's cool. I release you, brother. You know, right? And, and brother, yeah, like you said, that's a really good point.
2: Right. Sorry. Right. So back to uh, and and not that like if look if I'm I I have half siblings and mm. if. I, I would maybe describe them if I'm trying to be technically accurate with someone describing my family, I would maybe call them a half sibling. But if I'm talking to them, I'm gonna call them my sister. You know, I'm not gonna yeah. I'm not going to be like half sister.
3: <laughs> Unless you're really, really cross. Right. Or if if for whatever reason you're feeling threatened by them.
2: Right.
1: Yeah.
3: Rightly or wrongly.
2: David, you were gonna say.
1: I was just to say, yeah, same thing. Uh, extended family, step, half thing. You just like, ah, oh, you're just my, you're my sister. You you just you just let it go. You 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 give up the distinctions unless it unless it's important. Was Otherwise, it your sister's, family,
2: brother's, father's, uncle's former roommate?
1: Dog. <laughs>
0: what
2: was does it? that make us?
1: Nothing. Absolutely <laughs> nothing. Spaceballs.
2: All right, spaceballs reference over. Fëanor's seven sons and his father Finwë went with him into exile. He is visited by Melkor, but after Melkor suggests the Silmarils are not safe, Fëanor rebukes him. Melkor escapes Tulkas's pursuit and leaves Valinor. Great and- great part where Melkor almost lulls Fëanor into submission. He mm-hmm. almost he almost gets him, but it's the overstepping is what I yep. love. Is that Melkor just couldn't resist goading Feanor, and Feanor had none of it, and yep. his his pride and his greed overpowered his desire for revenge.
3: Yeah. Well, again, it's the Silmarils that are at the heart of the the mistake. Yeah. Because Feanor is is listening to him and believing him right up into the point that he Melkor suggests that even the Silmarils might not be safe. And, right. oh, you know, you you just touched the live wire, right? Right, right. And one, of the, best, the one <laughs> of the best... Don't the word with me. One of the best lines of all, get thee gone, thou jail crow of Mandos. <laughs>
2: get thee gone. Very, very and Shakespeare. Sh- very, you ever watch the movie The Witch? The, uh, no. with, the with the two Vs in front. It's a horror movie, and they all—they're all speaking in very old English because it's supposed to be Puritan early settlers of America. Sure, uh, um, you know we settlers is using as a conditional word since people were here already. But anyway, um, and they all go off, and they and they maybe go crazy, and they maybe fall apart as a family. But we don't know because there might be hallucinogenics. Doesn't matter anyway. <laughs> this. is is the kind of insult that they heard. Girl, get thee gone. Yeah. And I love that. I don't know why, but it, it feels worse than just saying, get out of here.
3: Well, and it's very satisfactory to say it too. Yeah.
2: It just, it I think I'm going to adopt it. If feels I good in the if mouth. I ever have to dismiss someone, get thee gone. If I ever have to send my children to their room.
3: I wondered. I think that's it. <laughs> that's my first thought.
2: Have you tried <laughs> that, great. David? You you have a child old enough to send to her room. Have you tried uh, get thee gone?
3: No.
1: And I don't know that she would take it. while well, She's uh, <laughs> She's very affected by things. She can't watch Disney movies. She runs out of the room. Oh so, my. Yeah, so she's very empathetic a child. Yeah, yeah, very yeah. empathetic child. And so if I said that, even in jest, uh, she she might. Uh, I, I don't want to do that.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. We have to so, know our kids' personalities.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So I'm I'm going to uh, put on my Nienor mental here, and say on behalf of Fanor. He does dreadful things. He's arrogant, violent, unbalanced, and thoughtless. Even so, I can have compassion for him because, as far as we know, he's the only one in Valinor whose mother died
4: Hmm. by
3: choice, in a sense. I mean, you can argue that back and forth. I don't think that she had choice. I think she literally put every ounce of herself into her son. Yeah. Once he knows that, I believe there's got to be some guilt there somewhere. Yeah. I'm alive because my mother is dead. And unfortunately, he, he turns that grief into all these qualities of the arrogance and and the fear, the fear what happens if I lose my father too.
2: Right. Well, then there's also, now that you're saying this, and it's bringing something to life for me, which is that we know from the next chapter, and I'm going to spoil something a little bit from the chapter we're reading next month, but we know that Feanor can't redo the Silmarils, right? This was, he put his essence into them. Right. And to say, I lost my mother because she gave so much of her essence to me, Mm. and now I poured all my essence into this, this Mm. might be the last thing I have of my mother. This might be the last thing she gave to me. Wow. And now you're asking me to sacrifice that? That's, you know, it's a a guild, sort of like the ring with Isildur.
3: Wow. That's, That's really cool, John. I like that.
2: You've got some linguistics for me, too, I see.
3: Oh, yes. I find it interesting to reflect on the fact that the word fey, will be applied to Feanor more than once in the following chapters. And we see it throughout the legendarium. Uh, Frodo, as he's running towards the pass to escape um, Ungoliant's descendant once Mm -hmm. and for all, is described as being in a fey mood, and he's not paying attention to things that he really should be paying attention to. Hmm. And it's interesting that the word has variant spellings, F-E-Y, is how, what we see here but f-a-y is a word that was often used to mean fairy or elf and so to the best of my recollection and this is not perfect but i think feanor is the only elf whose name begins with the sound fe.
2: Hmm. and I, I can't think of one
3: i just wonder if tolkien was making mm-hmm. some kind of comment on that i mean i'm sure the name is linguistically constructed and any listener who knows more about the language than i do which wouldn't be difficult by all means write in and and, and share your thoughts on this but it's just it's often struck me um, that elves are often referred to as phase yeah. in in yeah. literature from the early period and uh, so does that mean that feanor is the quintessential elf i hope not
2: Yeah, yeah, good question. Good question. Is he? I mean, he's certainly one of the greatest elves, and I don't mean that in best, but the most great of the elves. One of the most powerful, one of the biggest in stature, one of the most accomplished.
3: One of the most gifted creators. Right. Rivaled only perhaps by Aule himself. Right. Well, probably by Aule himself, but anyway.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's a good spot to take a break. When we get back, we are going to talk about Chapter 8. We're back and ready to read Chapter 8. In Avatar, Melkor meets with Ungolian, a giant spider obsessed with consumption, and forms an uneasy alliance with her. Melkor takes on the form of a dark lord, which becomes his permanent appearance. I did not realize until this reading, I must have missed it, maybe I just forgot, that Ungolian was a former servant of Melkor. I always, for some reason in my brain, she was this mystery origin. Mm. And... I, I, I guess she was one of Melkor's all along. They were buddy cop the whole time.
3: More or less. More yeah. or less.
2: Well, for, um, for a while, and then I guess she, she uh, grew out of him.
3: Right. Well, it's it says that uh, she was one of those that he corrupted to his service. Right. But there's also this wonderful line um, – she descended from the darkness that lies about Ardra when Melkor first looked down in envy upon the kingdom of Manwe. And in that beginning, she was one of those that he corrupted to his service. But yes, she subsequently disowned him desiring to be mistress of her own lust, taking all things to herself to feed her emptiness. And, you know, this is such a classic trope about the devouring nature supposedly of women mm-hmm. you know it's of course a more common theme hungering lusting yearning for something uh you see that all in a lot of places in Tolkien um if you think of course melkor and light Gollum and the ring giant spiders and light but they l- desire it and hate it at the same time hmm yeah but the devouring feminine is a is a concept that has been around for a long, long 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 time
1: and it's right here in that in this description where it's talking about she sucked up all the light she could find and spun it forth again into dark nets of strangling gloom mm-hmm. until no more light could come to her abode. so there you have it. she's taking it in and then putting it back out into this trans transformed form,
3: yeah right. And that becomes really crucial later on in the next chapter.
1: Strangling um, gloom. What a great yeah. little uh, uh, phrase.
2: The descriptors yeah. of Ungolian are some of Tolkien's best describing descriptions of evil. You know, just, and just the name darkness.
1: Ungoliant. You know, yeah. it's like ooh, Ungoliant. Uh, yeah,
2: it almost sounds like an adjective mm. rather than a uh, hmm. rather than a noun rather than a name. David. What's your impression of Ungoliant? This is your first exposure to (laughs) giant spiders outside of Shelob.
1: Well, I knew Ungoliant was around, and so it's fun to finally get to read the chapter where uh, they get, um, you know, where she gets to take the trees out, uh, as it were. And it's interesting because it's there's no definitive description. You know, oh, it had eight legs and it did this and that. <laughs> it, it's it's a very vague uh, form description, but then of course all the description really makes you think and feel a spider-like creature.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: And then of course the connection to Shelob, you know, uh, there's some sort of connectivity there, right? I'm I, I'm I i am i do not know the actual um, direct lines. Uh, and yeah, just interesting to to have Melkor have a buddy cop you know situation here, <laughs> but yet they have their own motives and they have their own motivations. Indeed, they do. And only in this time of when they're uh, in alignment about a very specific objective, do uh, are they able to work together in in this way? Do we know no spoilers? But is Ungol does Angolian show up later or? She has a little more to do. Okay, yeah, a little bit. Does Tolkis get to fight her?
3: <laughs> no comment. Uh, okay, <laughs> and and uh, you're right about the. I think both she and Shelob, who is descended from her, are described as giant creatures in spider form. Mm-hmm. So they're not perhaps literal spiders. But they managed to mate with spiders, you know, actual spiders. And some people uh, put forth the notion that she was actually a Maiar.
2: That's, that's what I was going to ask. That, that we have a handle on what she form. was. Um,
3: the Elder knew not when she came, but some have said that in ages long before she descended from the darkness that lies about Arkha. All right. So, what if
2: she was Tom? What if she becomes Tom Bombadil <laughs>
3: um, That is certainly creative thought. <laughs> One might even right say in, pinciful. Right in, L-O-T-R,
2: at thelorehounds.com. <laughs> I,
1: I noticed, too, maybe this is jumping ahead, John, but I, I noticed that we've got another festival here coming we up. We do.
2: I was thinking about that from our discussion <laughs> yes, so yesterday. Yes, we do. Yes, we <laughs> yeah. do. Yeah. The, the,
1: the use of festival as a um, nexus for story and plot to come together and for yeah. us to learn about and, and, and crazy things to happen. So,
3: And interestingly, it's one of the very few times that we see any kind of religious ceremony. Yes. Mm-hmm. In all yes. of Arda. So.
2: Mm-hmm. The, and the Valar are just having a party for themselves. And I love that Tolkien goes out of the way to say – yeah, they didn't need to do any of this. They're doing this for fun. They didn't mm. need to eat. Need they party. didn't yeah. need to wear clothing. They didn't need to wear bodies. They didn't need to have a party. But they just they just liked it, guys. And they just had a fun time.
3: And I think there may also be a little bit of them wanting to take on the forms of the children to better understand them.
2: Mm-hmm. And perhaps to be a friendlier face, right? It's right. A, it's a little it's creepy to talk to an, a disembodied form.
3: Or a flame or yeah. a tree or yeah. – <laughs> whatever i find it interesting that um ungoleant initially is afraid of doing what melkor wants her to do and what leads her to change her mind is his tempting her yeah do as i bid and if thou hunger still when all is done then i will give thee whatsoever thy lust may demand Yea, with both hands so once again, lust is associated with feminine. And what mm. is it with Tolkien and spiders? You know, I mean, he was bit by a tarantula when he was two or three, and always insisted that that had nothing to do with any of his creative.
2: <laughs> to which I would apply denial. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. And exactly. interestingly enough, in uh, role playing game spaces and fantasy, you know, Dungeons and Dragons, which of which. You know, it's this Northern European fantasy, you know, Tolkien at its roots things. Yeah. A great set of encounters you can always give your players if they're in forested areas or underground areas is giant spiders. They mm-hmm. are great adversaries to fight and um, and they're really creepy and they lend a, a really great uh, – scary vibe, you know, in the net and, you know, getting yeah. the cobwebs in your face and all of that kind of stuff.
2: Even Star Wars has the, gi- the giant spiders now, right?
1: They do. The ice spiders. Yeah. 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 I was just watching some rebels and they're all up in, in there with Keen yeah. and, and, um, Hold uh, it, Spoilers, name? spoilers. Right. haven't seen that yet. Okay. Well, no, no, no spoilers, <laughs> but yeah, there's, there's plenty of spiders and in the Mandalorian, the Mandalorian has an encounter.
3: Yes. With, I remember the ice spiders yeah. from the Mandalorian. Yeah.
1: So,
2: we got plenty of spiders. And
1: around. we never got our ice spiders in um, the Song of Ice and Fire in uh, Game of Thrones. No, we didn't. On yeah. the TV.
2: Yeah, it's in the books, not in the show.
1: Right. Ooh.
3: Oh, well. And can I just mention, since I just read that line? Sure. That I will give thee whatsoever thy lust may demand, yay, with both hands. That his whole statement there actually became a poster meme for hand-washing in the early days of COVID <laughs> 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 and produce this marvelous, marvelous poster. Um,
1: Can we, uh, you should throw it up in the discord. When we I'll
2: throw it up, up in the discord out. and I'll, I'll make a blog post on our website and I'll link to it in the show notes.
1: Oh, yeah. wow. Well, wow, you're getting at triple duty.
2: Yeah.
3: I tried but very when- hard to find the original link and I couldn't. So I just took it off of when I posted it on my Facebook page.
2: I like it. Under Ungoliant's web of darkness, they sneak into Valinor during a time of festival when Manwe sought to heal the division among the Noldor. Feanor was commanded to come to the festival, but Finwë stayed behind, refusing to come while his son remained exile. Feanor and Fingolfin make up and Fingolfin pledges his fealty to Feanor. A lot of fea. A lot of fea. I got to, I got to (laughs) enunciate these lines because there's just so many proper nouns and similar sounds. Um, So, we got a lot here. This web of darkness was such a cool way to describe their travel. And I love that he describes the whole route. They sneak sort of below the mountains of the Pelori, and then they come up in this area that's unguarded because it's west of the Pelori. So why would you guard inside the house? <laughs> and it's 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 really great, that whole thing.
1: It yeah. reminded me again, you know, to go back to the Dungeons and Dragon reference of uh, something that a spell that you can cast called magical darkness, which, you know, n- nothing else but an, uh, other magical sources can can see in this darkness. And uh, it really, mm. it, it again, it made uh, some great connectivity to me and in, into from that space into this space, because Tolkien is such an inspiration for a lot yeah. of what happens in, in Dungeons and Dragons.
2: Unfortunately, all the magical beings in the area are having wine. Yeah.
3: <laughs> and of course, now I'm trying to think of examples of spiders in northern mythology and tales and things, mm. uh, and uh, not coming up with a whole lot. Werewolves, wolves, and werewolves—absolutely. Sure. I mean, they were, they were definitely the yeah. undead. Oh yeah, the Draugir from the Icelandic sagas and, mm. and other sorts of things. Uh, I'm just I'm not sure that spiders really put in that much feature that much interesting yeah maybe I'll have to look that up okay listeners
2: spiders I learned that today (laughs) so um, more here more here right Uh, so Feanor being commanded to the festival Finway I love this so so Feanor has to come back for a day he's let back for a day in exile and made to come back and Finway goes well if he can't stay there permanently I'm not coming (laughs)
3: <laughs> the Wait. apple doesn't fall far from the tree, does right,
2: it? Right, right. Yeah. So Finway, we don't get to know him very well, right? And none of the none of the um, original fathers of the of the the tribes do we get to know well, except Thingol, who we do get to know pretty well. Mm-hmm. But Finway, you're right. He's pretty similar in vibe to Feanor. He's not super friendly. It seems like.
3: Well, and there was a lot of questioning of him when he said he wanted to remarry because yeah. it was not Elvish practice. Elvish right. practice was you formed a bond with another being for life. And what happened to Muriel is was unique in all of Elvish experience. And there were some who, who criticized him and right. said, you know, you had this incredible son, you could have been content with that. Yeah, um, it's possible that at some point in the next couple thousand years, they might have decided to come back. And again, in in the histories of Middle Earth, there's some really fascinating material about um, the the Valar meeting to discuss that um, what happens when Finway dies, and um, was it right for them to allow him to remarry or not? um, they really get into it in a deep way. And I think some of this is a reflection of Tolkien thinking about marriage and divorce. And Hmm. as, as a Catholic, he was definitely against divorce. And I think that's why elves being his representations of the quote unquote, perfect humans would never divorce. And so that was kind of baked into, um, you know, their physiognomy as well as their, their hearts and so forth. Right. Um, But at the same time, you know, Finway said, look, I'm the only one in all of Valinor who is unhappy. And yes, I have my son, but I have one child. I would like to have more. There's more in me. And so eventually they were persuaded that this was a good thing. But the other thing is that um, the the elf that he married had loved him all along, but had stepped back when she saw that his heart had been given to to Miriel. Um, So you know, two people in love with the same individual. And eventually it seems there's an opening and, and why not restore gladness and mirth, but nobody ever asked fan what he thought about it and who knows how old he was at the time. And, um, right. Yeah. Strong passion all around, I think.
2: Yeah. I'm just thinking about the elves that Tolkien sort of admired the most. Galadriel mm-hmm. was her only child, Calibrian.
3: Yes, I think Calibrian was the only child they had.
2: Um, so it's is, not. Is it, this is this you know someone who learned from the errors of her uncle?
3: Could well be. Could well be. It, said, it was that's highly for unusual me. for Feanor to have seven yes, children. Yes,
2: yes, and that's Very because unusual. he had all the all the hroa, right, of his mother in him.
3: He, right, he was so full. And of, perhaps of spirit,
2: perhaps uh, uh, Feanor should have been content with his children and not needed the Silmarils.
3: Well, it's an interesting question because, again, had he not done that, the original light of the two trees would have been lost to the world. Oh, forever.
2: I, I what I mean is not hoarding.
3: Oh, the oh, oh! I see. You know, I see. Use I them
2: see. as a gift to everyone hmm. rather than hoarding them for yourselves. Be. Be content that you have. He His sons seem to love him. You know, there's never a question yeah. of whether his sons are devoted to him. The only thing that the sons ever lament is the actions that happen later. And they, I think, share in the blame of it rather than uh, Feanor, who, who I, I think they really loved him. I think he would have been happy with his sons mm-hmm. if he had just kind of let go of those Silmarils. Hmm.
3: Yeah. Well, I think. Maethros is the only one of the seven who stands aside when uh, uh, the ships are burned.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, very, very complicated character there too. Definitely. Yeah. The sons Most of Feanor, David expect a lot. They, they're, they're going to be big players going forward. Right, they are right. going to be summer. Are, some are better than others. Let's just say that.
3: Right. Yeah. Keep an eye out on the, the sea sons, as we like to say, the, okay. the sons of Feanor, whose names start with C.
1: And there's some there's some big battles too coming up with them. And oh yeah. yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Good stuff. We got plenty of stuff going on.
1: Oh yeah. Oh hey, can I something that I uh, I meant to ask about uh, earlier when Melkor's skulking around and we've got uh, a tumno, that really reminded me a lot of the beginnings of the Rings of Power. Where yes. Galadriel yeah. is up looking around and and that kind of stuff. So. When we think about the showrunners for that show, pulling from, you know, various sources, even though legally they can only do certain things, they yeah. can ask Although for certain they, things. They did seem
2: to get more Silmarillion than we thought. Like, it right. did seem like they, the the estate gave them more than we thought they were going to.
3: Right. So. Yeah. On a case-by-case case ask. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which must have been time-consuming. if You have nothing else.
1: Yeah, no. I just wanted to point out the that the that that connection. I just was sort of looking at the text here again, and I forgot to mention that before. So mm-hmm. that you know that that would, seems to be a very direct linkage there.
3: I also want to point out one other thing in this, and that is the danger of oaths. We're going to see the the, the Uber example of that coming up uh-huh. later on, um, but in this um, reconciliation. At the feast, Mm -hmm. Fingolvin held forth his hand, saying, As I promised, I do now. I release thee and remember no grievance. Then Feanor took his hand in silence. But Fingolvin said, Half brother in blood, full brother in heart will I be. Thou shalt lead and I will follow. May no new grief divide us. I hear thee, said Feanor. So be it but they did not know the meaning that their words would bear.
1: Fingolfin seems to be a bit of a class act here relative to his brother.
3: He absolutely is. And in this and in all (laughs) that follows for the Noldor, (laughs) I think of Elrond warning Gimli against the taking of oaths Uh before the fellowship sets out for Rivendell. Hmm. Gimli says, sworn oath may strengthen quaking heart. And Elrond's response is, or break it.
1: Mm, Interesting.
3: Look not too far ahead. Interesting. So of all the people of Middle-earth, I think Elrond is the one who experienced and suffered the most
1: from...
3: The taking of an oath.
2: Mm-hmm. He learned the most from it, I think. He learned the most. He internalized the, the most lessons from the oath of Feanor and from the whole doings of the Noldor in the First Age.
3: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I'm I'm trying hard to think of an oath that turned out well. Well, the, of course, the oath of Aor. And uh, okay, yes, yes, and the Rohirrim. So that that one turned out okay. But
2: <laughs> so we let men do oaths to each other. Nobody else, though.
3: Yeah. Well, I guess maybe. Who knows.
2: Let's close out the chapter. Ungoliant's darkness reaches the trees, giving Melkor cover to smite the two trees with his black spear. Ungoliant sucks up the light of the trees, and her poison causes the trees to wither. Ungoliant also drained the wells of Varda, causing her to grow so large that Melkor became afraid. Valinor lay in darkness, and Melkor escapes. This idea that melkor is afraid of a being that we don't even know the origin of maybe maya at the most definitely not one of the valar right so she gets she gets so big that she makes melkor the most powerful <laughs> of all the valar go oh i might have screwed up here yeah that was ah! really funny. <laughs>
1: Yeah, like I, I was envisioning a, a tick in gorge. Oh yeah! Oh no! that's,
2: no, that's no. a nice, nice piece of imagery, nice David. Piece of visual. I hope someone's eating while listening to this podcast. <laughs>
1: Not anymore. <laughs> but it's just it's so so descriptive and so um, animalistic, and and yeah. you know, it, it, we. I think one of the things that freaks people out about reptiles and insects is, is that there's no mammalian. There's nothing mammalian about them for us to respond to. So we can't look into the eyes and see the emotion hmm. by facial construction or how the eyes Right, They're just a very flat affect creature. Right. Mm-hmm. And so to see, to have this vision of a spider like creature yeah. sucking all of this stuff up. I and do not like it, that. Yeah, it's, it is, it's unnerving because we have no, connectivity to them. They are, Mm. they are alien to us from our, our mammalian responses.
2: Yeah. Mm. I know people were disappointed to not see Ungoliant on screen in the Mm. the rings of power Mm -hmm. because that's Mm. imagery that I I think is very unique and would have been very cool to see on screen. Uh, But it's it's beautiful writing. I mean, it really, it makes you feel the emptiness. Uh, There's a quote here, yet no song or tale could contain all the grief and terror that then befell the light failed, but the darkness that followed was more than loss of light in that hour was made a darkness that seemed not lack, but a thing with being of its own for it was indeed made by malice out of light. And it had power to pierce the eye and to enter heart and mind and strangle the very will. Wow. Wow. This living darkness. I think that's, I think that's pretty similar to the, the feeling in Shelob's lair too, right? Mm. Yes. Where the yes. file of, of Galadriel, Galadriel, oh my God, now I'm back. Yeah. The file of Galadriel. <laughs> They're going to come for you. Needs to save them from the darkness that really is invading them rather than just being there. You know, it's one thing to be alone in the darkness. It's another thing to have the darkness try to consume you.
3: Okay. You just made a real connection for me. Because what is in the file of Galadriel? It is the light of the original Silmaril. That's true. Right.
1: right. Yeah, right.
3: Reflected from her, her mirror, from her, her, the uh, water. And yet, genuinely that light. And so finally, the light of the two trees gets to uh, combat and overcome that darkness. So
1: uh, yeah, I'm just double checking here. It's water from Galadriel's fountain, mm-hmm. uh, which encased some of the light of Arëndil's star, mm-hmm. the light of the two trees of the Valar, which had been preserved in a Silmaril long before Arëndil's yeah. mm-hmm. lifetime.
2: Yeah, we're we're getting very deep into the Silmarillion here, but right. yeah, there's there's going to be some mischief with where the Silmarils end up.
1: Yeah. So, but even what what strikes me now too is is that. Even such a derivative, so far removed from the trees, mm-hmm. it is still that powerful. Excellent. Dude. And it still has that much potency. And and especially in a time of great need, you yeah. know, it's it's there, right? That yeah. that lightness yeah. over darkness is is there for you. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And that is something else Tolkien does too. Everything is a lesser version of what came before. Right. Yeah so the sun and the moon are lesser versions of the light from the two trees and what goes into the file of galadriel is a reflection of an original light which is not a lesser light in that instance but it is lesser insofar as it's a reflection from it you know all these sorts of falling away from um, the original beauty and glory that was creation
1: you know, it's in digital asset management. We we call things um, uh, derivatives and proxies mm. and uh, children, and we have all these words that all come from source. You know, and when you have your mm-hmm. source document and or what have you, and so um, these are all of these uh, uh, de- derived product from an original source. And yeah, it's and yet still so so potent and so powerful and. It makes me think of all the whole thing too, with creator, subcreator, and and by many hands, you know, all, you know, f- making all kinds of art. So we're spinning out ever forth from this original source material, and we're doing that here with this podcast, mm-hmm. right? You know, we're we're utilizing the, a derivative of a derivative of a derivative in a way.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: And perhaps one day there will be a derivative of podcasts where they react to podcasts.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't put it past Did you ever watch
2: Inside with Bo Burnham, his comedy special? No. He makes videos of him reacting to something and then he does a reaction to that video and a reaction to that video oh, my goodness. and does on this chain. And that's the joke is when are we gonna stop just reacting to things? Mm. But maybe we'll get there with podcasts. Who knows?
3: <laughs> Engaging in new creation.
2: Yeah. Any more thoughts on this chapter or these two chapters really, before we move on to feedback?
1: Not really. just a lot of great descriptive language, a lot of great again, density of words worth versus impact and uh, world building and character building. the the compression is great. I love the density of the writing. Relative to what we feel or think or how we react to a, a scene. You know, when he says, you know, this is sharper than, than thy tongue. It's like, wow, well, that is that tells me so much about what's going right. on. Or Half you know. brother, you know, yes. like all these all, all these little stuff.
2: digs. Yeah. So
1: it's, it's really great to uh, feel the world opening up and uh, us getting actually into the story proper.
2: Right.
3: And this is this is the foundational mythology of so many of the elves that we know mm-hmm. from subsequent stories in the legendarium. And it's good to see it because you get a sense of their cultural origins, if you will. And the Noldor are the most complicated of, of the three major houses, in a sense. They're certainly more active, one could say because they are the creators. And so again, they're enacting the creating, but they're also experiencing the consequences of their creation. Mm -hmm. And tracing those lines all the way up to beloved characters like Elrond and Galadriel, it's hard to remember sometimes the thousands of years that have spanned from this story to the Lord of the Rings story but you still see bits of it gleaming through. You still see glimpses of it that touch back to this early, early time in the council of Elrond. When he's saying, I remember the banners of the battle ending the second age. And Frodo is absolutely God smacked because he said, but I thought that was an age and an age ago. And no one says, well, it was, that's how old I, am.
4: <laughs> you know,
3: I go all the way back. Oh, and by the way, my father's a star and my mother, is a goal. Um, you know, it's it's. I think it's good to see where how all these stories were formed and and see that they weren't just legends; they were lived experience.
2: Right, right, right. So, lovely chapter. Uh, really, like you said, David kicks off the whole story. We are going to be expanding our world next month. We have a, another two-chapter session with Of the Flight of the Noldor and Of the Sindar. So we're heading back to Middle-Earth. We're going to have a great time with a couple different groups. And um, then in September, I don't think we have a guest for August, but in September, I know we're going to have Tea with Tolkien on to talk oh. about Of the Sun and Moon and the Hiding of Eleanor. So. I'm excited to talk more, Silmarillion. Marilyn, thank you so much for talking Tolkien with us again. It's always a pleasure. You're our favorite Tolkien scholar. We always say so.
3: Well, thank you for bringing me on. I always love doing it.
2: Absolutely. Anytime you want, just to shoot us a Discord message. (laughs) Will do. We would like to go to feedback quickly. Uh, We didn't really get feedback, but I wanted to give a shout-out to White Paper Bag on the Discord who just bought the Tolkien Illustrated uh lord of the rings which has sketches and paintings and drawings from tolkien and uh really enjoying it Uh, white paper bag apparently is very much enjoying it even if there were some publishing issues some printing issues and um yeah i just I, i wish you the best in in reading it and i know that you're listening to some great tolkien music on youtube so keep us posted on your progress
1: Yeah. And be sure to send us uh, any emails, L O T R at the lorehounds.com or head over to our website, use the contact form or the voicemail feature. And yeah, as always the, the discord.
2: So we have a Patreon and every episode of our podcast, we like to give a shout out to our lore masters, our top tier patrons. And they really, including all our patrons, but especially the lore masters, really keep the machine going. And much to Tolkien's dismay, the machine keeps going. (laughs) Uh, And here they are. We give the shout out to them. Samartian, Cyrus, Mark H, Michael G, Michelle E, David W, Brian P, Nick W, SC, Peter O.H., Bettina W, Adam S, Nancy M, Lavinia T, Doove 71, Brian8063, Frederick H, Sarah L, Gareth C, Eric F, Matthew M, Sarah M, DJ Miwa, Joyce E, Andra B, and Kwang Yu, recently upgraded to Loremaster. Thank you all so much. It's really been a lovely time doing this year of podcasting. We just put out our birthday episode of Second Breakfast, and I know we put the interviews out publicly. So if you want to hear that, if you're on the public feed, you can find that there. Find the rest of our, our Patreon-exclusive content, including more Tolkien stuff now. We're doing Shireside Chats, which has the letters of J.R. Tolkien. Just started doing that. Uh, and all our episodes of Second Breakfast. And David, do you want to talk about the stickers quickly?
1: Yeah, just real quick. Uh, anybody who's a subscriber at the end of July can will is eligible to get a sticker. It's a limited edition. This sticker will never be available in a merch store. It's just
2: like the light of the trees.
1: Exactly. (laughs) I poured all my being into the sticker. I've used all my graphic design arts, which are very limited. Um, And uh, yeah, we, uh, Marilyn, you helped us. You reached out to some folks to help uh, get a a phrase translated, basically that says one year of good history. we reached out. We you got in touch with some some linguistics Tolkien scholars uh, who wrote this out in Tengwar for us, and it's not an easy thing. It's not just uh, a on a keyboard equals this letter. There's a whole process of of going through the sort of final translation we came up with was then uh, hand digitally illustrated, and uh, it's just a, a beautiful inscription. And what we're going to do is we're going to send that out to everyone, um, as a thank you gift just, you guys have been so generous to us and we just want to give you all back something that I, we think is meaningful and fun. And, um, you know, you can show off a little bit that you're a, a hound uh, supporter. So again, that will be coming out at the end of July. I'm going to start as soon as I get the, everything's paid for, we're just waiting for the stickers to, to be shipped to me. And then, as soon as I get them, I'm going to start uh, shipping them out to uh, everyone who's been already subscribed. And if uh, if you subscribe at 11:59 and 59 seconds, uh, <laughs> in July 31st, you'll still get one of these. So there you go.
2: Very cool. We've got a lot of stuff coming for the rest of July and into August. I know our affiliates are busy too. Wool Shift Dust is going. The silo season may be over, but Alicia is still going with her Hugh Howie interviews with her game show edition of the podcast featuring us. And, uh, I hope you'll all check out her podcast. I know she's going to start reading Dune soon. So she's got more going.
1: They're going to get into the Dune book, but then they're also going to look at various different adaptations of Dune. So they're going to look at Jodorowsky's Dune, which is a documentary about a very famous filmmaker, Jodorowsky, who, um, Never made a Dune movie, but they made a documentary about that. They're going to look at the 1984 uh, movie, uh, video games, a whole bunch of stuff, uh, all sort of in preparation for part two of the Villeneuve uh, adaptation later this year.
2: Very cool. And I know she's got her own Patreon now doing a book club. Yep. So, uh, yeah. Silo,
1: yeah. Silo books. Yep.
2: Yeah. Head on to her, uh, your, her feed if you want to know more. Maester Anthony is busy, too, over on Properly Howard Film Review, another one of our affiliate podcasts. A theologian and a stand-up comic walk out into a podcasting studio, and they (laughs) watch remakes this season. And uh, they already did Howard the Duck. They recorded a podcast with us already with Dune Part 1, the 2021 movie. Uh, Robocop, The Wolfman, The Wicker Man, they've got it all. They've got it all, and so that's going to start dropping uh, mid-August. So definitely subtri- subscribe to their feed in the show notes if you want that. As far as us, boy, do we have it all cooking right now. Foundation <laughs> season two going strong. I had a blast talking about it with you, David. I think, and people have been writing in that that they were having fun with the podcast too. So yeah, I uh, I'm glad that we're doing that. It's nice to be doing a full coverage show again. Uh, we did a TV one-shot of The Bear. If you watch that on Hulu, if you're just catching up, you can listen to one podcast on the whole season. Uh, you just did a, a podcast with Maester Anthony on Asteroid City, the new Wes Anderson movie, and yep. I listened to that. Great conversation. Another one of our
1: our one-shot uh, titles where we can just mm-hmm. take on a single show, or like you and, and Marilyn did Mrs. Davis, which is also mm-hmm. in your right.
2: Friends. And before that, we weren't allowed.
1: No, it was we not to, physically possible.
2: We had to make a permission structure here. Uh, but there's more, but wait, there's more attack of the clones. We just watched it on the live watch with Duve. I know Dove was there and we had a lot of fun yeah. making fun of the movie.
1: Not as bad as I remembered it. Yeah. It's interesting. If you
2: take out the bad stuff, it's a good movie.
1: Yeah. It's actually a very dark and sinister plot in a lot. Yeah, of ways. it is. Well, it is. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh, so we're going to be doing a podcast on that as well. And uh, That's part of are... our Star
1: Wars Film Festival. We're watching all of the Star Wars films in story order. All, right. what is it, uh, all
2: mm-hmm. 11 all, of them? It's something like that, I think, because we're including Rogue One and we're including Solo, probably. Yes, right. That's correct. So so that's 11. Yeah. Yeah. And then last thing, we are going to be starting our Ahsoka prep where I think we're just going to do it in two episodes now. We're going to do one episode on
3: the
2: Clone Wars and one episode on the Rebels plotline. And we're going to focus on, I think, eight episodes in each podcast. So stay tuned for a watch list for that and stay tuned for release dates for that podcast. Uh, I think that's going to be great. It's going to be great to go through the backstory. The trailer of looked fire. Before. Yeah. For, yeah. Uh, for the Ahsoka. show looks awesome. Yeah. So.
3: Both trailers. There's two out now.
1: Yeah. Are there two out now? Oh, okay. Yeah. Oof. So I'm, I'm drowning your, in a sea of content over here.
2: Get your <laughs> animated Ahsoka before she comes out on the small screen.
1: Uh, yeah. We're- Last quick thing to say too, uh, sort of in programming land, whatever we're you know we're in the middle of a writer strike, we're in the middle of an actor strike, and we're fully in support of the unions in terms of uh, making sure that they are have fair and equitable working conditions. So mm-hmm. strength to all you guys on the line, absolutely, and please
2: work out a deal so we have something to cover next year.
1: <laughs> please. <laughs> well, yeah, we need we need the studios <laughs> to pull their heads out.
2: I know so. it's it's all on the studios now. All right.
3: Hey, guys, there's month. always books, right? Yes, there's that's always true. We books. Have plenty of I, books.
2: I made a quip on the on the Discord server. We're a book podcast now. So, <laughs> there um, could
3: be worse fates. On that
2: note, read the next two chapters of the Silmarillion if you want to keep up with us for next month. That is of the flight of the Noldor and of the Sindar. We will see you then. Bye. The Lorehounds podcast is produced and published by The Lorehounds. You can send questions and feedback and voicemails at slash contact. Get early and ad-free access to all Lorehounds podcasts at patreon.com slash the Lorehounds. Any opinions stated are ours personally and do not reflect the opinion of or belong to any employers or other entities. Thanks for listening.
0: A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning.